Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to be going through practical of levers and maintaining space. So again, we talked about it last time. Levers really in all shapes and form don't exist. But we got to learn what actually happens within the joint and the body to manage that. And we're going to talk a lot about fluid dynamics and hydrodynamics to really maintain pressure and movement through the body. So this is a really, really tough one. Um, you know, take your time with it. Uh, again, the, the website is going to be your go-to resource for this. So phpodcast.com, become a member, subscribe, get access to the full curriculum, get all of the courses, coaching, movement, training, and nutrition broken up into principles, practical case study, and then interview with a strength coach among several other resources. We've got debates and lectures, a forum. Uh, it's just going to help the whole process. Of this. If you're just going through the podcast and you can pick up everything, more power to you, but the website's definitely very, very supportive and going to be the uh, go-to resource to really process and unpack a lot of these things. As well as go to phpodcast.com to order strength deficit, your ability leverage eccentric versus concentric contractions. It's the exact same premise I used for Army football in 2016. Uh, this is a peaking model to help develop athletes either eccentric or concentrically or increasing or decreasing the deficit. So check out that resource. It's going to be a really fun one for you to dive into. As well as Realize.me. This is your command center for all health and data performance. Honestly, you're going to use this resource probably more than anything else you're doing because it's going to be your dashboard to see the cause and effect of all the things you're doing. It's my go-to to triangulate all the data that I've been tracking over the years and put it in a one single source location so I can see the impact of things that I'm doing. Increasing calories, decreasing calories, increasing protein, et cetera, taking certain supplements, doing a certain intervention. I can run experiments and I can see the relative impact. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that something that we should strive to have within our setting? So check out realize.me, get access to the newsletters. I got a series of blogs coming out, which I'll be sharing on my web, on my PH podcast, as well as my website. And then going into uh, going into getting onto their wait list to get access to their platform. It's going to be a really good resource for you guys. But I appreciate you guys. Uh, and then without further ado, let's talk about practical levers maintaining space. All right, welcome back, guys. We're going to be talking about now B in terms of levers and maintaining space. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more into the hydrodynamics. And again, I want to give credit where credit's due on this. Is, uh, a lot of this is Bill Hartman's uh, point of view and perspective that I'm just trying to recreate. But I'm also trying to tie this into maybe Doug Brignol stuff. Uh, and then just generally speaking, just physics and you know the appreciation of those two specifically to help illuminate the idea of like, all right, there's still a lot of practical application from looking at the body as levers, but then too of like, there's some limitations to that. So a big thank you for those guys. So if anyone is interested in going further into those, I highly recommend Bill Hartman's Intensive as well as Doug Brignell's book, uh, The Physics of Resistance Exercise, uh, really good. And I'll put that within the, um, the references. Uh, so we talked about last time this idea that a lever can't exist in the body because it isn't in contact the lever and the effort arm with the fulcrum, right? The third class lever, the elbow that we described before, um, that the the uh, ulnar radius is getting pulled towards the humerus, ulnar radius being the lever arm, the fulcrum is the elbow, and then the effort arm is the humerus bicep that's pulling on the effort and moment arm, and that we're trying to create this closing space between the the uh, ulnar radius and humerus uh, to whatever accomplish your task, right? Uh, but if we lost space within that joint, we got problems, 
right? If we lose, if we create excessive compressive forces within the elbow joint, you start to get tendinopathies like the elbow tendon. You start to get different pressure management things like elbow tendonitis, or we start to look at potentially in tennis elbow. Um, we start to look at these probably, or even bicep tendonitis, right? We start to look at these constant things that become present of, of if we lose space, we run into problems, yet the whole entire premise of levers is based off of not having space between the the effort and the the lever arm and guards to connected to the uh, fulcrum. So we talked about this briefly, but this is going to be the big part of this that we're going to go through is this idea of it's just about managing pressure and fluid within the body, right? The majority of the body is fluid, right? It's just filled with water. It's a water bag, right? Where we are this water sack with a little bit of contractile tissue and some structures that are a little bit more stable bones. And then we have this whole other thing of like other organs. But the reality is just how well we can control fluid within the body dictates how well we can control movement. So it's a really good place to start. So as we start to break down, okay, well, we're departing from levers and looking at how the body moves. There's some things that I think are going to really be helpful. Um, and there's some really good resources outside this video, much better job explaining the physics of this. But Pascal, Pascal's law, which is pretty much that the fluid takes on the form of the cylinder it's in. Uh, we got Hooke's law, which is this stress strain relationship. So what is the tensile strength of some tissues? And then Young's modulus is what this idea of like looking at it from, you know, as things get to the strain type of or stress type of relationship, it's the ability of the strain to overcome, you know, really dictates the ability to recover from that. And as we start to look at, you know, there's another concept called Bernoulli's too, which essentially the speed of the fluid transferring from one cylinder to the next is related to the size of the cylinder or the structure to the thing, right? So if it's going from a very large cylinder to a small cylinder, it's going to increase velocity. Um, it's going to a wide cylinder, it's going to increase force. But the overall, um, the overall premise here is that like we're thinking about this from, again, looking at that joint, the fulcrum is not in contact with the lever and the effort arms. We are creating contraction. We are moving solid structures, bones, through the connection of that contractile tissue to the solid tissue bone through connective tissue, cells, ground substance, tendons, and ligaments. And it's done through multiple planes of motion, and it's done through this really hard to... I guess conceptualized thing that you know is now that we're kind of like imploding and saying okay well what do we have what can we build us off of and there's gonna be a lot more to this again we're gonna have to go down the road of tensor gridity uh, the interplay between tension tension and compression centration the ability to create pressure within joints to control movement um, there's a lot we still have to go into and there's a lot that we're gonna have to unpack about this so it's gonna be an ever-growing process that we're gonna continually work through Let's open up with uh, Pascal's, right? So uh, Pascal states that the fluid is in, fluid is incompressible and takes on the form of whatever container it is. So we talked about this in the last module that we create a closing angle or a regressive angle by bringing the ulnar radius closer to the full, uh, the humerus, right? So we are closing off at elbow joint, right? So in between that ulnar radius and humerus, there's zero space, right? We've done a complete elbow flexed position. We have closed off of that cylinder, 
right? So now we have pushed fluid to the open angle side or the progressive side, right? So now all the fluid has gone from one end to the other. Pressure is relative to the shape it's within should confine. So now, say that neutral position of that of that elbow joint, it flows just it's there, right? Looks like uh, just steady level bowl. We close off that elbow joint and it goes rushing to the open angle side, right? The the posterior side. That pressure now builds. So the closing angle has zero pressure. The open angle has a lot of pressure. Fluid needs to go somewhere. It smacks against that pressure wall and now it needs to come back. So when you start to create a eccentric contraction, fluids rushing back into that open or that close now formerly closing angle side. And then that closing angle side becomes inverted. So we go all the way back down. The ulnar radius moves away from the humerus. The anterior portion now becomes the open angle side, and the posterior portion becomes the closing angle side, right? So the tricep side becomes now closing. Fluid's now rushing back into this, right? And then we're squeezing it back and forth, like a, like pretty much going back and forth inside of a tube of toothpaste. The toothpaste inside is squeezing it from one end to another. We got the water bag, we're squeezing it one end to the other, right? And all it's doing is it starts to get into the smaller cylinder, creating pressure. Right, it's moving from one end to the other, and it's creating this massive amount of force. Now, a thing to understand here is this idea of Bernoulli's equation that if the cylinder contains fluid or is all that contains fluid is altered, we need to accommodate that change in diameter with certain various rates of speed. Right, so if it's in a very wide diameter shape, it's going to have a high force, but it's going to have a very low speed or low velocity. If it goes to a very, very narrow cylinder from a wide, it becomes very, very fast. That pressure becomes there. And this is where the space management becomes really important. And, you know, I, I think as we look through joints and we look through different things, ball and socket joint being the, the one that we're talking about majority here is this, because it's so hard to explain from a lever. So I think it's from that concept. It's probably the best place to start to really appreciate that levers really don't exist based off of, this ball and socket joint not being easily classified as a lever um, from the first, second, or third class lever, and that maintenance of space. And actually put within the module a picture of cam or pincher impingement, you know, this overgrowth of, of bony tissue around that hip joint, right? So pincher being an overgrowth of the socket and then cam being a overgrowth of the actual ball leading into the femoral head, leading into that hip. And it's that loss of space changes the fluid dynamics within that joint. It's the maintenance of space which creates fluid, fluid and controlled movement. It's a loss of space which creates some sort of compensation, right? And we're going to go into this in terms of isolation versus compound movements, but this idea is that loss of space creates compensation, right? I have closed off that space in the anterior portion of that hip where fluid can't move freely. I have to create a compensatory strategy to be able to accomplish a task. Fluid needs to go somewhere from the tension I can't create in the quadricep muscle and during a squat, so I have to get hingy. Fluid has to go somewhere from a compensation I make during a hinge, so it has to go to the knee. 
And this is the downstream effect of not really understanding how fluid dynamics or not really appreciating how movement competency really has to happen with multivariate three-dimensional, three-vector plate-based movements. That if we place a lot of constraints on it and we do an isolation exercise looking at the length, tension, strength of, or tensionability, uh, muscular tensionability of an isolated movement pattern with a very stable environment like a leg curl or leg extension, we won't see nearly as much in terms of movement compensation and loss of control due to lack of space as we would in a compound multi-joint movement done in an open environment like a squat or a hinge. You add other elements like speed, velocity, or duration, then all of a sudden you start to see more compensation and more impacts of loss of space and more systemic problems of loss of fluid control. But Bernoulli's means that we are going from a bigger space to a smaller space, we have to increase velocity. That means it's going to be a lot harder to manage. If we're going from a smaller space to a larger space, we're going to increase the force. Right, so now we have this closed off hip joint from a cam pincher or combined type of impingement and we get to this very small, small, sec small space for fluid to go, speed's gonna go up. And we're gonna create this massive reaction of that sacral pelvic area going into a nutated position. And we're gonna start to anterior tilt and we're gonna start to shift our hips back and we're gonna just get into this very hingy type of squat or vice versa. And then that fluid gets out of there and we start to stand back up and we have a mechanical advantage because one fluid is rushing back into that joint. We've compromised our range of motion to accommodate that. We compromised our position to accommodate that. And now we have to associate potential increased force potential with a very poor strategy movement wise to organize that hip ball and socket joint to control fluid dynamics within that. But aside from that, it goes into this other level of is that really a lever? What lever is that? I mean, the knee joint could technically be considered a third class lever. So the effort arm would be the quad or the humerus, and then the the lever arm would be the tibia, tibia, tibia and uh, fibula. But, you know, is it really a, a third class lever considering that, you know, we are closed kinetic chain environment and the effort arm is more of like the the open kinetic guest side or the, the more proximal side that's creating the effort arm? It's hard to say and it's really hard to understand. And it's, if that's something hard to explain or understand, then you know, we probably need to understand that it's got some limitations in terms of transferability. But again, looking at it from the hip joint during a squat or a hinge, how, what, what kind of lever is that? Versus the other side of this is of like, okay, well, we know that these our laws and principles of, enjoy, of really organizing space. So we can start with hooks, uh, start with Pascal's of, okay, fluid needs to be controlled with, within the, or is controlled based off of, or is controlled based off the size of the shape that the fluid's within. And then Bernoulli's of going from a wide to a small or small to a wide increases the velocity, increases the force. These are true. And if we have closed space or maintaining of space, that means a lot of different fluid management strategies we need to incorporate or elicit. You know, and again, it's an, I'm not sitting there saying this is easy. This is something that, oh, I get it. Let's well, I can see exactly what you're talking about. Like, I get it. Like, there's a lot of like, I'm not trained in physics. I'm not trained in engineering. I don't really know this concept either. And that's, and that's okay. And I think that's something that you're going to have to really work through. And you have to really tap, tap into a lot of these resources we're trying to provide to help you understand this at a high level.
But with that being said, it goes into the final aspect of Hooke's Law and Young's Modulus, who's looking at the stress drain curve of Hooke's is the elasticity of that material in stress is equal to the strain. If not, then that, that material needs to reform to accommodate that strain. Young's modulus will look at the stress-strain curve relative to strain tolerance. If stress is greater than elastic capabilities, aka strain, you end up with deformation, right? So both of these are saying that essentially at a certain level of stress that the strain or the capacity needs to accommodate that. And if it can't, it has to reform and shape. And we talked about this with Wolf's Law of like there's going to be some sort of adaptation to create tissue or create some sort of maintenance of that stress, right? So we've lost space, fluids are out of control. We have high velocity or high forces going into certain aspects of that joint. We start to change the length tension relationship of the tissues, and then we start to lose range of motion. So we've lost capsular space. We've lost now range of motion of the tissues around that space. We are really gonna struggle to accommodate this simple aspect of movement. Now again, going back into levers, if people are really, really trying to classify that as a lever, you know, in terms of the hip or the shoulder joint in a squat hinge or a vertical or horizontal push or pull, where is that lever really occurring? And, and, and the thing that we talked about before, and this is still true, right? This idea of, you know, the perpendicularness to gravity, right? That the more perpendicular something, the more active that tissue is gonna be, or the more tension you're gonna create, the more parallel, the less tension that if we're looking at this from the contractile tissue in isolation that absolutely unequivocally that we need to figure out how to create adaptation on that tissue as much as humanly possible to increase one of the most time-tested proven methods to improve performance is cross-sectional muscle area but on the other end it goes into this idea of it's not really a lever that mechanical advantage is just from a lack of contractile tissue relatively speaking to gravity or an abundance of and the orientation of that looking at a different relative perspective of gear ratio if we have a pen eight mass fiber versus a parallel but that lever or leverage is not really true right and we've got a little bit of example of this but you know the thing that i really want you to kind of just appreciate now is coming back to the central thought is okay we have an elbow we have a knee we have a hip we have a shoulder this is pushing fluid when it gets into a closing pushing fluid away from a closing angle side to a open angle side. So it's pushing fluid from a closing angle side to an open angle side. That's creating one, a different Pascal's environment, right? So it's gonna take the form of that, so that space. It's gonna create a different Bernoulli's reaction, meaning that that Bernoulli's, that speed is gonna go from from low to from low to fast or slow to fast, or is the force going to go from low to high? And then the final aspect is going to create some sort of stress strain relationship off the tissues around that, from the connective tissue, the ground substance, the the tendons and ligaments are all going to change in di direct relationship to the forces placed on that joint. And if you have a compensatory strategy, meaning that you have to modify the way you move based off a loss of space and the reaction of that loss of space to mismanagement of fluid within that joint, then you're gonna create a further compounded issue that we are gonna to adapt to that said stress the best way we can by altering the tissue to make, meet the structural demands of what's placed on that from a fluid perspective. 
Now, that's something I really want to sit with for a second. Because we're talking about length, tensionship, tension relationship, force length relationship, stress strain relationships from a fluid reaction based off a lack of or an abundance of space within the joint. That fluids are moving either very fast or very with very high forces within a joint based off of small spaces or large spaces. And that is a direct reflection off of the redundancy of things that we do. We sit in this hip flex posture. We do heavy loaded movements with poor movement patterns. We lose the function of that joint to be able to be resilient and be good in multiple situations because it lost space and has to figure out strategy to handle high velocity or high force fluids constantly occurring within that joint. It's a heavy thing to really understand. And why I want this to be such a foundational, because it takes the next step into looking at the next level of things from gear ratio, mechanical advantage, uh, looking at tensegrity, looking at centration, that as we start to move things around in the body, contractile tissues are moving, non-contractile tissues, yes, that there is gonna be some sort of mechanical advantage, relatively speaking, to gravity for that contractile tissue. But all it's doing is trying to manage fluid within the body. That the body is essentially this big, fancy, hydrodynamic cylinder controlling space and time. That's a really heavy thing to really process. It's a departure than probably everything you've ever learned in anatomy. You know, this tissue is really, it's really unnecessary to really think about from a, from anything other, if we can just break that down, right? The origin insertion of a muscle group, the, the action of a joint, the function of everything really is obsolete once you start to break it down from physics is the only real thing that's occurring within the body. And that's probably going into hydrodynamics and, and spatial relationships, relatively speaking, to gravity. Now, how this applies to movement, you know, just honestly, maintain space. That's it. I know. That sucks to think about, right? It's that idea of maintaining space to have better fluid control. That we're not having overly high speeds or high forces on one aspect of the joint that we have to create more compensation, right? Some compensation leads to more compensation. And this is why we started off with develop variability as a framework for movement. The larger our bandwidth, the greater the potential of that movement therefore is. So as we start to really dive into, well, what do I do with this information? What does it mean? How do I really start to use this? Is create range in joints and the tissues that support that joint. Have as much functional or have as much capsular space, meaning that joint can maintain its spatial relationship, right? So the thing that we talked about last one is it's easier to maintain or get a compressive strategy than it is to maintain a space strategy, right? That most of us are overly compressed on one side of a joint versus the other. We have a very closing angle problem that we can't really reach. So if we can build in range, it can and then two, once we have that range, we can have better opportunity to control it. We can't control the range we don't have, right? So as we start to think about building space within that joint, 
that's the foundational piece here. And think about everything we've talked about pretty much from the last you know, six modules from movement it, 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 by itself. It's how much is our bandwidth to control the environment is dictated by the space we have within that joint, capsular space, and the range of motion around that joint within all three planes of motion and all three vectors. And then, then subsequently the control. If I have range, if I have space in that joint, fluids are going to move with a more uniform fashion, a more controllable or predictable fashion. So right away I can handle more multivariate environments. If I have more range in the tissues that support that joint and either create compression or tension around that joint, then I'm going to have a greater opportunity to control the rate of fluids. Right? Imagine that you're really shortened on one side versus the other. As fluid crashes into that wall, you create more of a compressor-like strategy. Right, You start to lay down more plaque to handle that stress. You create more non-contractile tissue, more bone, more tendon, more ligament on that one aspect, and then you start to get into impingement-like stuff. Or you maintain the range of motion of that tissue to allow that fluid to move in unique and very unexpected, right? Fluids are very like volatile thing, right? That's the whole point when we look right at the top of Pascal's is fluids incompressible. It's gonna take on whatever the form or shape it's gonna be within. Within that though, it's gonna move in a very chaotic and unpredictable manner. But the more our one, our space in that joint, the better we have a little bit more control, right? It's gonna limit this entropy effect, right? This idea of we're moving to a state of chaos, so we might as well have as much bandwidth to handle that chaos as possible. And then from the other level is we have as much range within those tissues to support that randomness or suddenness, sudden change. And then it goes into this other idea, do we have control, right? And this is why I think training through a full range of motion is foundational. Training through a full range of motion, understand that we're trying to create as much separation from that origin, or from that insertion from the origin. And we're trying to get us through that full bandwidth of perpendicularness and parallelness to the to gravity to create as much tension within the muscle groups through as much longitudinal effect on that muscle fiber. And as we create that, fluids move. Fluids move through all three planes of motion, all three vectors. They're going to go up and down. They're going to go forward and back. They're going to rotate or slosh in this like procession-like manner. They're going to they're going to impact that joint in every way, shape, or form. But if that joint has a very small bandwidth to handle that from a lack of space and a lack of range of motion, then it doesn't matter what I can or can't control. But if I do have the space and if I do have that range, and then I want to increase the tensile strength of that range or that control of that range by having more sarcomeres throughout the entire bandwidth or the longitude of that actual muscle fiber, then I'm going to have a greater capacity to recover or perform at that range. Then not only do I have as much of a bandwidth to handle multivariate, unpredictable environments, I can recover or perform at a high level within those environments. There wasn't my ulnar radius getting closer to my humerus as to why that happened through a third class lever function. It was the fact that I have adequate space within an elbow joint. I have adequate range within flexion, extension, and pronation, supination, or a combination of both. Then I have adequate control over flexion, extension, pronation, supination. 
and I can handle that in any shape, form, repeatedly because I have the capacity, I have the force generating capability, I have the speed to be able to do that. And that's something that as we start to break down, you know, that, that, that's going to be a big departure from a lot of people's perspective on stuff. And you'll find there's certain tools that really facilitate a really high level of performance within this certain environment. Certain machines are fantastic. Certain, certain free weight compound multi-joint movements are really good. Closed connect chain environments are really good. Certain open connect chain environments are really good. And what you do is you find the best tool to meet the job based off what you found is the biggest limiting factor. And that's why we'll finish off with screening here in a couple months of, okay, well, how do we figure that out? You know, how do we really get to the bottom line of this? And, you know, this is a big fancy way of saying that levers really don't exist and there's a little bit more higher level. There's a little bit more complexity to understanding how movement occurs. But it comes back down to saying, just maintain space, maintain range of motion, maintain control, and you have a fighting chance. So I hope this helps. Um, I'm gonna go into isolation and compound movements. I, there's also, um, in debates and lectures, I posted uh, my, uh, my and Eric Schmidt's debate and lecture uh, on, on the website, actually, so you can see that there too. And for the record, I absolutely crushed Eric Schmidt in terms of uh, who won that argument. So um, and you guys can vote for yourself and, and you want and let me know how you think I did versus speaking to Eric. Um, an unfair advantage for Eric, I had to talk about compound multi-joint movements where he talked about isolation. Um, but either way, I think it was um, it's a really good opportunity to kind of go through that and dive into more practical aspect of that. But that's gonna be the premise of our case study. We're gonna talk about when and where to use a isolation for compound movement based off of constraints versus lack of constraints. And, uh, and I think that will help too in terms of understanding just how this is applied. And if you can see the end product combined with uh, the middle or the beginning, you can kind of put together in the middle a little bit better. So I hope that helps. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I think this is like a, a really complex, complicated and very complex module. So um, a lot to unpack. Again, resources are definitely going to help. I've been posting a lot in the forum. So check that out as well. All right, guys, I appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time.